0: The Global Football Show. Hosted by Phil Brown and Callum McFadden. A co-BTP football CMB production. A show that covers all the breaking news and talking points in football happening across the globe. The Global Football Show.
1: Whispers in the shadows. of buzzin voices. Acting, waiting.
2: Hey, boy, have you got any money? And I say I've only took money Have a take-away curry I'm on the way home to my
1: wife she be lying at the cuttory And now she's expecting me Polishing her glasses And pulling out the coke I'm down And I'm in a Tuesday Shut up in the hay.
3: Yes, hello folks, welcome to another Global Football Show, another co-football CFB, BTP production. I'm your host as always, Phil Brown, joined with my regular co-host here, Cal McFadden. So much to talk about on the show today. We'll have two legends on the show. We'll have Stevie Nicol, of course, on from ESPN, ex-Liverpool player, of course, legend, Scottish legend here. We've been beat up by Scotsman since I've had this young man on the show. Uh, brilliant to have Stevie on. We'll talk about what Liverpool will look like upon the resumption of the league, what young players they have coming through. They may be very important with the news that they probably won't have any money to send. Then, of course, we'll talk to Alexi Lalas. We'll talk to them about the resumption of MLS in a tournament format, what that will look like, and really about the evolution of the league, which I'm looking forward to talking to him about. We've seen MLS evolve from a league that brings in superstars to put bombs on seats tonight, bringing in young players, bringing in top coaches, because you're dealing with a much more savvy American audience that can no longer be wooed by one or two superstars. They want legitimate players. They watch European football on TV every week. They know what good football looks like. And it's no longer enough just to have one or two aging superstars in the league. To win the league, you need actual quality. And MLS now becoming a really a favorite spot for us young South American players. As you imagine, the standard living is very, very high here. So looking forward to talking about all of that and much, much more. Sorry, Callum, long with an intro, but how are you doing, man? <laughs>
1: I'm going to be honest, I'm doing well, but this is the first time we've recorded this show and I've been just very jealous of yourself. <laughs> I'm looking out the window right now, Phil, and no IT, it's grey skies, it's quite cold, and I'm thinking <laughs> to myself, why on earth do I persevere with Scotland when <laughs> you and Martin and the rest of the BTP crowd are in LA and Miami? What am I doing?
3: We are very fortunate to live in this gorgeous part of the world, um, Social as you said. I am very, very fortunate outside. say it's blue skies as it is every day, and... Um, I get to, I've been here a long, long time now. Obviously, nothing's perfect. We have social issues here too. And um, this virus just has never really been contained here. But that I say, 20 years, I'm extremely fortunate. And America has been very, very good to me. So um, that being said, I'm a Belfast boy. And my home will always be Belfast, mate. So uh, I'm always going to be a Belfast lad abroad. And (laughs) so you should be very proud of where you come from. So much to talk about today, Callum. Uh, of course, your fellow countryman, Stevie Nick, will talk to you, like we said. It's going to be really interesting talking about Liverpool to get its perception because there's there's a, there's the acknowledgement of the present and then there's the future. And the acknowledgement of the present is, look, they're the best team by far. They deserve to win the league. They win the League of Canter. They're, they've won the European Cup. Uh, of course, they're, they've been knocked out this season, but they're still European champions. Um they also won the World Club Cup. It's truly a fantastic achievement by Jurgen Club. But nothing lasts forever. And in the Premier League, if you stand still, you get caught. And Liverpool are a team that they are very, very good, but it's almost always the same 11. And if they get introduced to key players, you'd, want, you'd worry about them because they think the drop-off from starting maybe 11 or 14 is big. So I also think it's appropriate that they don't buy, given the beginning of this coronavirus. They applied for this PPP. They got widely criticized for it, as they should have been. Then they realized their faux pas repealed that. But I think a lot of people had eyes on them saying, well, if you really needed that at the time, you can't go out and spend big in the summer. And it doesn't look like they're going to do that.
1: It doesn't look as if if they're going to do that. Um, We talked last week. Yang and Defortov um, explained that the Timo Werner situation is something mm-hmm. that Klopp is disappointed by. He also <laughs> came out and um, had a go back at some of the ex-Liverpool strikers, notably Robbie Fowler, um, Michael Owen, and a few others, who said, "Oh, Liverpool don't need Werner anyway." And and, and Jan summed it up perfectly by saying, "Well, that might be your opinion, but if a manager like Jurgen Klopp was clearly wants him, then there must be something in it." And what I want to ask Stevie today, and I will do when we speak with him, is his um, former teammate, captain, leader, uh, Matt, former Liverpool manager as well, Graham um high profile here in the UK as you know on television. And he always, always says that teams must buy when they are strong. And mm. the example that springs to mind, sorry, Phil, for this long-winded answer, no way, that, that comes to mind in recent years is Manchester City. Now, mm. I'm not talking about Guardiola City. I'm talking about Mancini City, Pellegrini City. They won league titles and then the just dropped off because they didn't add significant quality when they were strong. And I think that's what Liverpool need to, to do because a guy like Jurgen Klopp is going to attract attention from Bayern Munich, from the German mm-hmm. national team. And if you stagnate for a couple of years, then he, he's not going to remain. So Liverpool need to back him if they want to try and have an era of dominance that like United had in the Premier League era.
3: I think also, to be to Liverpool, maybe the era of a manager being there, 10, 15, 20 years is probably gone anyway. So with Klopp... They definitely need to spend to keep him. He has a unique relationship with that football club. The fans love him. He loves the club. It's a club suited to him. He's a very, very difficult man to dislike. He's truly, honestly, he's a terrific man. He's a terrific human being. And just a truly brilliant coach at what he's done at Liverpool. And, you know, it pains me to say it, as you know. But you have to be honest. I've also said I understood them not buying last summer because it's a very, very difficult team to improve. It's a system team. It's very difficult to take one individual and put them into that system and improve Liverpool. But not by two years in a row. Teams age, legs age. They've got some young players in there that are exceptional, I, I agree. We've got Adam Lallana leaving the club. Um, and so I think we've got aging players, players starting to age. It's a, it's, it's a huge intensity to play at that level, heavy metal football. You know, it's very, very difficult to, to, to retain that and... and I think eventually you have to freshen and it's a, they have some very good young players. We'll ask Stevie about that. But it's still a massive jump from under 23 football. You really need that lone move to get you up to speed at a Premier League level and deal with Premier League pressures every week and then step into the a team like Liverpool because the pressure is immense. Um, so that definitely will be a concern. And the other concern in Calm, if, They're not spending the summer. there's no guarantee they'll spend in the future because you can only see revenues decreasing. And so before this gets better, so you would imagine, you know, you're Mo Salah, you're some of these other players, they're going to have lots of other clubs that are interested in them. The only benefit they're going to have is lots of clubs can't buy, but that won't last forever. And, you know, I I do agree with them being financially prudent. You know, that makes perfect sense, but it can't last forever.
1: It can't last forever, and you're spot on, and and as I repeat, buy when you're strong, I think, is a message that, that makes complete sense. By all accounts, having listened to various media outlets, reading articles myself this week, um, lots of journalists and broadcasters in the UK and across Europe expect Chelsea to go big. They've already got Zayat coming in. Werner, we, we expect to be completed soon. A left-back they're interested in, there was talk of Ben Chilwell, but for £80 million, I wouldn't spend that on, mm-hmm. on Ben. I think he's a great young player, but I wouldn't pay £80 million for a left-back. That's just me at this moment in time. Tally, if he goes a, a, an alternative that's 27, I think he could definitely do a job for a couple of years um, and, and is of sufficient quality to to add to Chelsea. But I think teams like United and Chelsea should go into this summer seeing an opportunity. And the reason I say that. We've talked about Liverpool, revenues decreasing. If Liverpool don't add and invest, as you've said, you can be caught in the Premier League. You can be caught. We've seen it multiple times before. Manchester City intrigued me because if they get the Champions League ban, it's inevitable some players will want to leave. Mm -hmm. And if they don't want to leave, heads could go down because you're playing at the elite clubs for the elite competitions and the Champions League is that competition. So for me... Man United um, signing Fernandez in January was superb. Maybe some people would say came a few months too late. Granted, but he's improved the team. And I think everyone who's got a United affiliation, yourself and Martin included, are excited to see him playing that team with Pogba and Rashford and Greenwood and Martial and, and potentially maybe next season, Jadon Sancho, who's linked. But I think the opportunity is there in particular for Chelsea and United and this is going to sound daft and listeners to this show will probably get in touch with you Phil and say that Scottish guy doesn't know what he's (laughs) talking about when I say this I think Leicester City are well placed for next season if they keep their players which I don't think they would have done if this Covid situation didn't arise they could have maybe slipped out the top four but I think if they can keep their players and add one or two I'm not saying they'd win the league again but I think they could challenge
3: well, I said this thing was on last week's show. I said I think they may be the biggest winners of this shutdown because uh, it has totally changed the landscape with where players are going to go this summer. I would have assumed that Madison, Chilwell, maybe one or two others could have been gotten out of Leicester. But it doesn't look like that's going to be the case anymore. There's only a few clubs can buy those types of players. They're not going to go in and spend 80 million plus on each of those. There's just too much risk involved. So Leicester not just will have... The, the benefit of a rest because they were looking tired. They'll also have the benefit of the fact they have renewed focus on players that will want to play in the Champions League next season and they'll most likely be at Leicester and need to be at Leicester to do it. So they could be the big winners of this. It's going to be really interesting because if you look at first day, if you look at the opening day of the season, there's always surprise results. It always takes teams a few weeks to get momentum, to get their feet. Preparation here is absolutely key to, for teams to hit the ground running. And it's very difficult to replicate the intensity behind closed doors of what you're going to get in in, in late games. I've seen people talk about Arsenal's result with Bramford and United with West Bromel. I read nothing into these games. These are fitness games. The result means absolutely nothing. Um, but it's going to be really, really interesting to see how they hit the ground running next for, for the resumption of this. Uh, and it, with no fans, uh, I think the biggest, the big clubs are the biggest losers in terms of what you get benefit from the fans. Let's be honest, you get benefits of in the seasons. You get benefits of lots of other things. You, of course, have the support at your back. It's going to be really, really interesting to see who prepares properly for this. And you're going to see a lot about who has the best coaches, the best setup, the best nutritionist, the best everything, the most comprehensive setup behind the scenes. Um because I think it's, it's really, really difficult to prepare for this unique environment. Uh, I'm really fascinated to see what we're going to see this week. It's great to have the league back. And like I said, I know, I know
1: people's opinions differ on this, but um, I'm delighted to have him back. I'm delighted to have it back. And I hate to, to dwell on a negative here, but there are two clubs in particular I am really concerned about. The first one is Bournemouth. We mentioned on last week's show. The reason I'm bringing them back up is I was reading the Athletic this week and watching T four football, who are associated with Athletic, and it turns out that Bournemouth's income. So they made 131 million pounds last year. 115 million of that was from TV revenue. Mm-hmm. So if Bournemouth go down, I'm concerned about them they Don't have a big crowd because of the size of the stadium They're restricted in that regard In terms of commercial opportunities In the reports I was reading on those uh, organisations that I've just mentioned It's not something they've got particular strength in uh, As a brand um, Obviously the Premier League brand is helping them But not to the extent that other clubs of of their stature in the league um, Are benefiting from And the other club I am really concerned about And I might look silly here again is Tottenham Hotspur. For me, Jose Mourinho, and I'm going to put this to Stevie, has not set the world alight at Tottenham. I know Harry Kane was injured. I know Son was injured. And those players coming back might make the garden very rosy and they might have a great end to the season. But for me, I would be worried if I was a Tottenham fan in the sense that if Mourinho finishes outside the top um, four, which I think he will, if he gets into Europa League spot, The Thursday-Sunday combination is something that's complained about at the best of times from clubs. And with Mourinho and that Tottenham squad, I don't really know if that's a a match made in heaven Um, next season, having the Europa League Thursday, league games on the Sunday, trying to play catch-up. I really don't, because the checkbook's certainly not going to be opened by Daniel Levy this summer, in my opinion, because the the stadium is costing money. I believe Tottenham had to um, access some credit or a loan and recently, to help towards costs for that. Could be wrong, but I'm sure I read that somewhere. Um, and basically, for me, that suggests that there's not going to be a lot of money for Josie this summer. And as you well know, Phil, having experienced it in pre season over in the States, if Josie does not get his way in the market, a very grumpy Josie, and it <laughs> impacts on a squad. And, and for Tottenham and their players, I just worry.
3: Yeah, I never really understood why Mourinho went there in the first place. I think it's a reflection of where Mourinho's at. This is a move Mourinho never would have made four or five years ago. But he's not getting the top jobs anymore. You know, if it had been just United where he failed that, he could have gotten away with that. But because of what happened before that with Chelsea, I think there was too many people looking at it going, do we really need this? Going from a guy like Pochettino to Mourinho is going from chalk and cheese. They're two very different managers in how they work uh, psychologically. In, in in terms of their um, in terms of their tactics, in terms of the way they line teams up, that Tottenham team wasn't suited to Mourinho. But I would only it would only have made sense. We talked to Alex McLeish on the show last week about how difficult it is to go into a club and have to sell and be a firefighter. That's not Mourinho's job. That's not what he's good at. That's not what what made Mourinho great. He's not going to get to bring in players and that he believes would have that, 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 that resemble Jose Mourinho, I also think with VAR, it's very difficult to have when you look at Mourinho's Inter Milan when you look at Mourinho's Chelsea, in his words, they were dogs of war, they were players that would bite at you, they would give you everything, it's very hard to do that now, because everything is so scrutinised, you don't get away with anything anymore, so any form of physicality is punished right away so those players are dying in the game anyway, so I, I look at that also, Calm, just on this, we talk about financial prudence right, with Liverpool. If a club like Bournemouth, who have 10,000, a stadium with 10,000 people on the Vitality, are running that football club where their main source of income is television and they're not thinking about the what ifs, then that's their fault. They need to be thinking that a club like Bournemouth can be relegated at any, t- any moment. If they are not prepared for that, because you imagine with the coronavirus with 10,000 people, Their main source of revenue is not from ticket sales anyway. If they're running that football club without taking the consideration that they could be relegated, something seriously, seriously wrong. So I, I really have very little sympathy if someone like Bournemouth goes down and isn't financially prepared for it. They should be preparing that football club and running that football club along the basis that that could happen any moment. It's a football club that could be relegated any moment. They should never be taking their position in the Premier League for granted at all, ever. So I sincerely don't, I sincerely hope they don't suffer any financial ramifications. But if they're not running the football club with the idea that that revenue could be gone at any moment, then there's something seriously wrong.
1: I agree. And, and, and in terms of the sympathy towards Bournemouth, I think a lot of that potentially comes from Eddie Howe in the sense that Eddie's yeah. a very likable guy. He tries yeah. to play football the right way. But for me, there's no getting away from it that some of the recruitment has been at times questionable. They've spent 15 million pounds on Jordan Ibe, who'll leave yep. the club this summer on a free transfer, heavily linked with Celtic. Dominic Solanke, they paid 20 million pounds for. I think he scored one Premier League goal. Not, for, I don't know if that's at Bournemouth, but I know he'd scored one Premier League goal up until his mm-hmm. arrival at Bournemouth, and they paid 20 million pounds. People listening are well oh, 20 million pounds is nothing, but 20 million pounds nice. for somebody to scored one Premier League goal, for me, that's not, that's not wise investment. And they also spent 5 million a few years ago on another Liverpool player in Brad Smith, left back who never really showed any chance of making it at Liverpool, but when they came up to the league, they were willing to invest that money. It's not worked out for them. I think for Eddie Howe and Bournemouth, they might get out of the drop zone because David Brooks is back after 10 months out injured. Mm -hmm. A lot of pressure to be put on David Brooks, I have to say, because a lot of the build-up to Bournemouth uh, and their chances has been put on Brooks. So I think really they'll be looking at Brooks, they'll be looking at Josh King, they'll be looking at Callum Wilson to get them out of trouble. If they don't get out of trouble, as you've said, there will be little sympathy from fans because of their model. They'll have to sell their best players and it'll be interesting to see what Eddie Howe does because I don't really see Eddie Howe being prepared to roll his sleeves up and go in the championship again.
3: We shall see. Uh, Let's go ahead and join Stevie Nickel here. We've got Stevie on the line and uh, we'll talk to him about Liverpool. Yes, folks, as promised, the fantastic Stevie Nickel from ESPN. Stevie, first of all, let me ask you how you doing, mate. Aye, all
2: good. Yep, all good, all quiet. Everybody touch words and uh, good Ted
3: good, well, I'm glad to hear you're doing well. The league is about to start again, of course, this week. Bit of a strange one, of course, with uh, having no fans. It's been 100 days since Liverpool last played against uh, Bournemouth, the 2-1-1 v Bournemouth. Um, they had a behind-closed-doors win against Blackburn 6-0 with a couple of young players involved. Uh, how are they looking, Stevie? Are they looking ready to go?
2: Yeah I think so I mean you know you can you can only do as much as you can um, as far as training and preparation is concerned you know we, we all know that it does take a couple of games uh, proper games to get you to full sharpness and full fitness uh, so I don't think I don't think Klopp's missed out on much uh, he's certainly been around the block enough and it's just another version of pre-season they've been on so I expect them to be uh, raring to go Uh, and at the end of the day pretty much all the teams have had the same amount of uh, training uh, probably the same amount of of practice games and so then it's down to mental toughness and ability and of course Liverpool there's nobody shown any better mental toughness and and ability than than Liverpool this season in the Premier League so uh, I don't have any worries per se Uh, obviously the proof will be in the pudding when they step on the field
1: Absolutely and, and we all know as you've said Stevie that Liverpool have been head and shoulders above all the teams in the Premier League this season as shown by their, their points gap to Man City and the rest However one of your former teammates Graeme Souness is always uh, very passionate about buying when you're strong Now Liverpool are not signing Timo Werner or so are led to believe although the deal hasn't been completed for Chelsea yet are you worried that could be a sign of things to come in the summer that Liverpool are going to prioritise keeping their players they've got now rather than strengthening while they are so strong?
2: Uh, no, I mean, listen. The, if you think of, you know, since since the the new group came in, other other than the Allison and Van Dyke, it's all of it's all been about strategy and uh, and good. You know, good scouting. Uh, it's about good, you know, value for money. And so they're not going to just all of a sudden blow all that out the window and just start throwing money around. Uh, yes, this is the time to sign. Um, but you know, I guess they're saying, well, you know, are you going to pay what was it, seventy million for a, for a guy who may not start? You know, I think if you look at Van Dyke and Allison, your club, you're saying, look, can you pay this money because they're starting? You know, if I'm if I'm in charge and I've been £70 million for a guy who probably wouldn't start, yeah. then I'm I'm going to question it. So I think you have to look at what they've done, um, the Fenway group, up until now, and go along with it.
3: Stevie, it's been a long time since Liverpool last won the league. And, of course, they're going to win the league quite comfortably. But it's going to be a bit anticlimactic. They're not going to get to do it in front of their fans. Um, it's going to be in empty stadiums. Uh, they've been sort of robbed in this shutdown, haven't they?
1: Oh, yeah,
2: absolutely. I mean, not just not just not being able to get it at Anfield, but, you know, away from home, you know, there'd be no parade. And, and these are all... You know, we're all pros and we all have a job to do. Uh, but the, the kind of icing on the cake is when you get those moments when the final whistle goes... And your fans are there, you've won the league, and you get to get on the bus and you go around the city with half a million people. You know, these are these are the little extras that, that come along with being a pro, you know, because you have to do your job and what Liverpool have done better than anybody else is is do, do their the job team. this season. But they're going to miss out on all the all the real all the real memorable stuff that that, that sticks with you for the rest of your life. Mm.
1: In in terms of playing behind closed doors, it's 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 a strange thing. I know they've been putting crowd noise in in different countries. That may happen in the Premier League as well. In your career, Stevie, did you ever play behind closed doors at all? And if so, what was it like?
2: Um, not a proper game. Uh, I've certainly played in games where there was nobody bothered to turn up to watch. Does that does that count? <laughs> three men, three men, and a dog. Does that count? <laughs> so, uh, uh, yeah, it's it's. I can't imagine. Uh, I I haven't been involved in a proper game with, with no fans, uh, and so I find it difficult to imagine. But it was kind of, you know, it's kind of, you know, reiterating the point I made right at the very beginning. This is this is going to be about mental toughness. Than anything else, and you know, nobody can question Liverpool's mental toughness, and so that in the end will pull them through the fact that they've got so many games in hand as well. Um, but yeah, it's, it's about mental toughness, and, and, and that's what will get them through in the end.
3: One of the things, of course, David, that Jurgen Klapp's done a terrific job of is bringing through young players in that signal win against Blackburn. Yeah, young Jack Keane playing Leighton Clarkson playing Jack Keane scored of course who are the young players we should be looking out for coming through the academy at Liverpool? Do
2: you know after after what's happened during the season with Liverpool's run in the FA Cup particularly mm-hmm. it's very tough to pick one out because there's four five and six that are absolutely look as though they're on a level where given the opportunity they could maybe step up. Now the, the tough thing is going to be for these young guys to get that chance, um, in the Premier League, for example. Um but I, I honestly couldn't I couldn't turn around and say, Oh, this guy here, you need to watch him. They've they've got a plethora of players and and I'm, and I'm assuming that very soon a lot of them are going to go out on loan and, and maybe you'll see them playing. Uh, actually in the Premier League But just not for Liverpool yet So I'm a, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't hang my hat on anybody in particular I, th- I just think they've got so many coming through it's, it's fantastic for the club
1: As a fellow Scott I'm interested to get your opinion on on Andy Robertson For me, one of the best left-backs in the world If not the best how, how does it feel watching him? And I know he wound you up on ESPN Pretending he didn't know you Talk us through that
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was Alexis put him up to that. <laughs> I think you know, I think he's actually he's actually benefited from playing in a team like Hull, for example, where he had to defend for his life pretty much every time they played in the Premier League. And so that 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 defence that you see from him when he's been, with a Liverpool shirt on, it's fantastic because going forward he's immense. Look at the other side of the field with Trent Alexander, maybe had Trent had some of the upbringing that Andy had as far as defending can say, then you you maybe would be looking at two two perfect fullbacks because right now one could go one is absolutely mad going forward in Trent Alexander Arnold, but he's not a great defender, whereas you've got Andy who's brilliant defensively and brilliant going forward, so. I think Andy's benefited uh, hugely from from putting the miles in previously uh, at places like Hull and obviously at home uh, with the likes of Queens Park before he came down to 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 England. So he's he's a real hybrid, really. You know, you could stick him in an old fashioned four four two team, but you can play him in the Liverpool team right now that looks to get the fullbacks forward.
3: Stevie Everton and Sunday, of course, we've got a glimpse of what football looks like behind closed doors. Looking at the Bundesliga. The fact that there is no crowd, is that tainted the way you're looking forward to this game, or are you looking forward to it as much as always?
2: I need to watch what I'm saying here. I was about to say that, you know, playing against Everton now is not exactly what it used to be. (laughs) (laughs) You know, regardless of where Everton were, you knew you were in for a battle at the very least. Mm -hmm. And and they can't do that now, you know, the way the, the way the game's played, the way the games refereed, you, you can't impose your physicality on anybody. And so I'm, I can honestly say that it's not a game that I, I look I look to with trepidation anymore. You know, you're never, you never you never used to be quite sure what was going to happen. But nowadays I can't honestly say that. I'll be I'll be very surprised if Liverpool don't win. Uh, and actually, if they if they drew, it would be it would be more of a surprise.
1: Another thing we need to get your your views on Stevie, the top four chase. Who do you think makes it out of Leicester United, Chelsea, Spurs, and Arsenal? If you had to choose two,
2: um, well, I think Leicester's going to make it. I think the if if anybody's benefited from this break, it was them. I think Leicester were beginning to feel it a little bit. Uh, and so I think this break might have helped them, you know, refocus again. So I, I, think, the, I think the top three are, are, are done and dusted: City, of Liverpool, and, uh, and Leicester. After that, it's a it's a real tough one, a real tough one. You know, Chelsea. Chelsea have looked more. I was going to say consistent, but again, before the before the shutdown, they were beginning to look a little ragged as well. I mean. Manchester United, you don't know what you're going to get. You really, you really don't. Is it, is it possible that a Wolves or somebody can, can sneak in? Uh, I don't think Arsenal's getting any chance at the top four. Um, I think, I think I'd probably, I think if you push me, I'd probably go with Chelsea. That's away.
3: God's sake. <laughs> let me ask you about oh, Arsenal. Phil, hey, I know you're
2: minding my but let's be honest. I mean, you really know what you're
3: going to get. I just put the Prozac down 300 three, days ago, for God's sake. Now you get me back on it again. There <laughs> <laughs> um, Let me ask you about Arsenal, because it's a massive football club in total disarray. Uh, I'll, be, I'll be my young one too. You've got Michael Arteta come in. Uh, it doesn't look like he's going to get back by ownership. What the hell is going on at that football club?
2: Well, well, you know the best teams and the best clubs. The only thing that matters is what happens on a Saturday afternoon with the first team,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and it doesn't. It doesn't see from the outside looking in. It doesn't look as though that's where Arsenal or what Arsenal is all about. You know, it seems to yeah. be more. We're always we're always talking about money. It's always about value for money, and not paying over, not overpaying, and, and the this stadium, and and it's always everything apart from football. I mean, I think they I think they they made a great move in getting Arteta because that that certainly for a period of time. I guess we were talking about football because it was Arteta, but that's only going to last so long. They they need to back him. Uh, He seemingly knows what he's doing. He talks, he says all the right things. uh, But at the end of the day, if you've got a team, for example, that can't defend, then the only thing's going to happen is you're going to lose goals. So you can pass the ball as nicely as you like and you can look good going forward. But if you're shipping goals in, then you're in trouble. Uh, And so, Arteta, no question, as much as anybody, needs to get some reinforcements at the back. Because you know they'll always pass it well under like hand, And you know they are always create chances. But, as I said, you, you, the ship goes in and expect to get anywhere.
1: Staying in North London, Stevie, Spurs and Mourinho, what's been your impression of Jose Spurs so far? In my opinion, it's been a bit of a damp squib. What's your thoughts?
2: I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. Um, I don't see any change whatsoever. I really don't. Um I mean, again, from the outside, Josie looks as always lost that little bit of magic that he had previously. You know, every time you spoke about Josie and his first decade of management, it was about how much the players loved him, how he looked after them, how it was all about them. And he's turned into this like self centered monster that, that when things go wrong won't take any criticism and blames his players. I mean that's a recipe for for disaster. When you've got a dressing room that thinks the manager is only going to blame you when it goes wrong, and when it goes right, take credit. Yeah. That, that doesn't get you anywhere.
3: Let me ask you for you go, Stevie, about the bottom three. <clears throat> Anyone from Brighton down could go down. Villa have a game in hand, of course, they're second from bottom. Um, who do you think will go down?
2: Both. Yeah,
3: I think Norwich are a definite.
2: Yeah, yeah. I think I think I think Norwich and Villa will go down. I think after that as you said there's there's three or four that are really hanging in the balance. Um you know again again I was talking about Leicester benefiting from this from this shutdown. Maybe Bournemouth might benefit because they were they were absolutely on the bare bones they had. They had about 13 fit players at one stage. So this might have given them an opportunity to get players back. But I think think Bournemouth can only stay up one way, and that's by playing football. And when you're down there, it's tough to do that. Certainly from a mental standpoint, because you're going into every game Looking over your shoulder, wondering what's going to happen. You know, and it, we all love playing football when the pressure's off, and you can go out, you can run around, and take a couple of touches, and it all looks great. But when the pressure's on, and you have to do that to win, because they can't win any other way, in my opinion. I think maybe Bournemouth's the team that, that, after so many years against the odds, staying in the Premier League, I think Bournemouth just might be the team that goes down. Um,
1: go ahead, come go ahead. Uh, one very quick question, Stevie, before we let you go, um, on another Liverpool legend and Steven Gerrard. Um, how do you think he's going to fare next season? The Celtic go for ten in a row. I know you're a boyhood Rangers fan.
2: <laughs> um, you know what? If he gets the players then he'll he'll. You know, he's got a mentality. He's got, he's got a, a real strong personality, a real winning mentality, um, and so if he's given the funds to get the players in then I think it's a matter of time before Rangers win the Premier League. Now, whether they do it to stop the 10 in a row, I guess isn't going to happen. Um, But if they back him, then then I think he he definitely would get Rangers back at the top of the pile again. Unfortunately, Unfortunately, there's nobody alive that would be able to get your team Martin. <laughs> to the top of the, <laughs> <laughs> the, ha- the hasn't been born yet. <laughs> the person's not been born yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will leave it between you two, Scotchman.
3: Scott, uh, Stevie, thanks very much for taking the time to join us, mate, and uh, stay safe. Thanks very much for everything.
2: All right, boys. No problem.
3: Cheers. Cheers. Bye bye, folks. As promised, the fantastic Alexi Lalas in our MLS segment, as of course MLS has a hard return date. July 8th in Orlando in a new comp- uh, format which we've yet to ever see before in this 26 game format this competition format with a CONCACAF Champions League spot available first of all let me welcome Alexi to the show. Alexi how are you?
0: I'm good uh you know we're uh, we're muddling through it here in uh well, I'm in Southern California, but obviously yeah. around the world, we're trying to get through this and uh, get out the other side of all the craziness that's uh, going on in 2020. And you know, as you mentioned, uh, all sorts of leagues coming back online yeah. in different forms, including Major League Soccer. So I don't know about you, but I, I was pleasantly surprised by the way that I reacted because it wasn't, a, it wasn't, look, it wasn't, there were no new details. This was the worst yeah. kept secret ever that this was going to happen in Orlando, yeah. but I felt I felt excited. I felt emotional about it. So I'm excited to see what this looks like. albeit in four weeks from now, which seems like a really long time, but it's going to happen. It's going to happen down in Orlando and I'll be interested to see what it looks like on the field from the play and off the field in terms of that production. Well, that's the same
3: as how I feel. I mean, optimism, even though it's a few weeks away, it's a hard return date. It's something to look forward to. It's something firm in the future. Um, Obviously, there's opinions differ on this across this country. We've got some spikes in coronavirus. Some, some, um, some people do, other states are doing well. What's your feeling on this? Is it safe to return?
0: No, I think that, look, Major League Soccer, uh, you know, maybe more so than than other leagues, not maybe, definitely more so than other leagues is... Uh, you know, it, it's in crisis, um, and they need to get back to playing. But they obviously need to do it with with safety, and I think that they have done everything in their power to make sure that it is that it is safe. And look, they, they the players took a a five percent pay cut. Uh, they are going to the Disney resorts down in Orlando. They're going to be surrounded by staff, including medical staff. The likes of which we've never seen they are going to be insulated and isolated and therefore protected and relative to 99.999 percent of the people out there uh that you know that that type of work return um if that i think it's a small small price to pay so I, i'm i am excited i recognize that there's certain players that you know either they are uh, they're they're compromised uh, you know uh, from a health perspective or they have kids or anything like that and there's going to be individual mm-hmm. cases but this is an all-hands-on-deck type of situation. That's the way I would look at it if I was a player. And I think everybody's coming together to recognize that this kind of needs to happen for MLS to survive. This is a survival yeah. mode type of yeah. moment for MLS and for other companies, uh, companies out there. And maybe in a little different way than, uh, than other leagues and other sports.
1: One of the things I'm interested to ask you, Alexi, is who you think is going to come out of this ready to, to, to really build some momentum. In the UK, the focus is always on LA Galaxy, LAFC, and of course now Inter Miami because of the David Beckham factor. But which club in particular do you think is going to come out the traps and potentially build momentum quickly?
0: Well, because it's such a, a unique uh, um, type of environment with this World Cup format, I'm really excited about it. This whole group play that does count in your regular season when they do, and they do anticipate of returning to the regular season, albeit a, a uh, you know, a different type of regular season with much less games after this tournament is done, uh, it, it does it does lend it to, itself to maybe some teams that are are different. For example, Sporting Kansas City, which is notorious for having this sporting fit philosophy and unfortunately at times has petered out as it's gotten closer to the end of the season. Maybe they, in this instance, this actually plays into what they are doing. You mentioned the LA Galaxy. Look, even when they were playing the LA Galaxy, there was you know the jury was still out on them. Chicharito hadn't scored. It didn't look like they had coalesced yet. Maybe that Orlando Heat down there playing uh, is something that uh, that brings us back to believing that the Galaxy can do uh, can do some stuff. As far as you know, David Beckham's Inter Miami, they're still a work in progress. They didn't show much in the first couple of games, and they certainly haven't signed anybody new. Um, but, you know, when in this this artificial and, and, as I said, unique type of circumstance without the home field advantage, although we've seen in Bundesliga, that's kind of gone out the, gone yeah. the window, maybe there are teams that we don't necessarily associate with being elite that in this particular environment come up. And, I, you know, I was talking to someone earlier today. Do we count this in terms of the title? If, you know, when that team does win, do we count it in terms of the double or the treble? Yeah. Uh, you know, if, if a team wins... you know the Orlando tournament whatever we're going to call this I know it's called MLS back but a team wins that then wins the supporters shield and then wins MLS Cup later this year is that the treble I don't know I mean this is this is all new territory for all of us
3: given it's a tournament um, format does it change how you prepare normally prepare for the season but other lessons to be learned on how you perhaps prepare for a World Cup is this going to change how teams prepare than what they would do for a regular season
0: I think there's a strategy in terms of finishing top two in your group, and then some of the best uh, third place finishers. And and because these, the difference is that while you might settle for a uh, a draw in in normal circumstances, you're not playing at home and are obviously away. So you're going to kind of go for everything. And since every result counts in your regular season standings, I think there will be an impetus for for teams to to go for wins more rather than than settle. Because just because you are going to come out of the group, okay, keep in mind when you come out of the group, then those games actually don't count to your regular season. So you may put all of your effort into winning as many of those three games that you play in the group to put yourself in the best possible position. And look, I'm not saying the CONCACAF Champions League carrot for the winner of the tournament isn't good or the $1.1 million prize. But if you come out of this tournament where you've had three wins in your group stage, that's that's That puts you in an, an advantageous position when that league, when the league does start, when everybody returns to their home markets and the regular season continues on.
1: In terms of the league and, and the return, a lot of focus is on the big stars, the likes of Carlos Fela, Chicharito. Mm-hmm. In terms of those players, they're very exciting to watch, and we know the pedigree that they've got. But for our listeners, Alexia, are there any players that you're really excited to see that maybe the wider listenership aren't aware of yet?
0: Well, I mean, look, there are the stars of the league, like you mentioned, and they're going to get a lot of the attention. Uh, And, and, you know, then you have, you know, an existing star, someone like Joseph Martinez from Atlanta. And Atlanta is always going to get some attention, not some, a lot of attention, rightfully so. But he got injured, so he's he's going to be out. And I'm just, you, you know, you mentioned Miami earlier you know, the, the whole phenomenon of an expansion team and what it looks like and what those expectations are. You know, when you, when you talked about Miami earlier uh, when we were talking about it, what did you call it? You didn't call it Inter-Miami. You called it David Beckham's yeah. Miami. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, you know, that's that's what you get with David. Believe me, I, I've, I've been through it. And that yes. is the power of the Beckham brand. And you can use it, you can harness it, and it can be incredibly valuable and successful, but it also raises expectation, especially in a place like Miami, which has long been sought after in terms of a market, but nobody has really gotten it right. And keep in mind that this team even in the normal times earlier this year was was scheduled to play in Fort Lauderdale as opposed to Miami. But I think there is a pressure because of the association with David Beckham to see what Miami is going to be. So I'll be really, really interested to see that. And you know, someone like like Nashville that's just come in, they don't have that pressure. Yap I think, is going to be interesting to see. The coaches yep. are really interesting, too. Yap Stom in, in Cincinnati, because Cincinnati's been horrible. Thierry Henry back to MLS. He had a wonderful career as a player here and now leading Montreal up there. And what that looks like because of the high-profile type of names that they have behind uh, what's going on. You know, then you're going to have your usual suspects, defending champs uh, Seattle uh, up there uh, that are doing their thing. Uh, you mentioned Chicharrito and the LA Galaxy right now, and as I said, the jury is still out. They are always going to be one of these one of these super clubs, but they you know they need to do some things, and I think it, the the perception that we have of the teams going into this World Cup type of tournament down in Orlando might be very, very different than coming out of it. And as I said before, since it's such a unique type of situation, I don't know if that's the right type of perception to have uh, coming out of it. And we may be thrown in different directions than in another way when we get back to playing in market.
3: One of the things that I've loved about the MLS is the, the maturation of the league, how it's evolved from being a league that's just brought over some superstars to try to put bums on seats that are towards the end of the careers. Now we're seeing Top clubs around the world scout here for the best young talent we see, the successful with Davies and Bayern Munich. Um, the, we've seen MLS now evolve from a league that's got the respect of the world, that says, you know what, there's a lot of talent in this league. It's ready made to come to Europe to hit the ground running and not have to start at a lower level. Uh, that must be a, rep- a, a tremendous sign of the success of MLS and the growth of it.
0: It is. And look, I wear my MLS, uh, you know, affiliation and love on my sleeve and I I will protect it and defend it. Uh, And, you know, at times I'm probably overly sensitive to the way that it is perceived. But this is a battle for hearts and minds. And, you know, we are we are in the 25th year of Major League Soccer. And sometimes we kick ourselves for what we haven't done. but We also have to pat ourselves on the back. And you mentioned this has been this is not just a battle for hearts and minds. It's a battle ultimately for relevancy in the way that we are viewed internally here in North America and the way that externally people are are looking at it. And it has grown so much more. The respect that the league has for, you know, the very different and unique structure of it, but also the respect of the the, the teams. You know, when you look at someone, you know, like the Bundesliga and the way that they have mined MLS and the way that they recognize the talent that exists over there. And they're, they're I think they're ahead of the curve and I think they are they are smart and look you know I, I can scream and yell about how the perception doesn't match the reality oftentimes in terms of the quality uh, out there and we're never going to know it's a subjective type of uh, type of thing but it's a it's a fun game to play and i you know i would submit to you that the league and the players and the teams are much better than people realize out there yeah. but as you mentioned a lot more people especially people within the business even though they might not want to admit it publicly, are realizing the talent and the value that exists in Major League Soccer.
1: Absolutely, and one of the intriguing elements I find now um, through expansion in recent years is the LA derbies. Now, the reason I need to ask you about that is because Phil never tires of telling me how glamorous and wonderful it is to live in LA, which (laughs) makes me very jealous. But how much of those derbies added to the MLS, and for you, with your history with the galaxy, how important is it that the galaxy remain the top dogs in LA first and foremost?
0: Well, having lived in Los Angeles for decades now, and seeing you know years ago the the arrival of Chivas USA, which which didn't quite do what we needed it to do in terms. And rivalries are very very important to Major League Soccer. They're very important to sports, uh, especially in the in the United States. And when I think about You know, what LAFC has meant, not just to Los Angeles uh, and the market that we have here, but to Major League Soccer and El Trafico, which is what we call, you know, this, this this newfound but still incredibly intense rivalry between these teams it it makes me so happy to to see and we have wonderful ones all over the place now that exist and whether it's up there in Cascadia between Seattle and Vancouver uh, and Portland whether it's up in Canada between Montreal and uh, and and Toronto or whether it's existing ones that have been around for a while with old school DC United and uh, you know Red Bulls and and this, uh, this kind of stuff uh, that that's goes on. The, these are important, especially in a country our size, it's, it's difficult. We're not, we're not bussing oftentimes between teams. but what we're seeing now is better proximity. So for example, Cincinnati coming in, and that's a North and South state in Ohio that you can have a real interstate type of rivalry. Um, you know, these, these are important, so much so that it even got me thinking the other day that in a city the size of Los Angeles, and I don't want to be greedy, but h- could we possibly see in the near future a third Los Angeles team? And could this, this market, I, actually, I, I'm going to answer my own question. Could it absorb it? Yes, I believe that this is a type of environment where three MLS teams could not just, not just survive, but could thrive and make each other better going forward. Because the LA Galaxy is better for what LAFC has brought to this market.
3: One of, one of the reasons why I brought up the last question is American coaches and the youth system in this country is taking a lot of criticism, both domestically and abroad. With the emergence of young talent here, is that an endorsement of the youth development and the system that exists in this country? Because I know you've been a proponent of defending this system in this country and it's, it gets a lot of criticism. But we're seeing a young, uh, young American talent, probably the best generation of young American talent we've seen in a long time. That's not an accident. Is that an endorsement of what we're seeing at youth level here?
0: It is, and you know, we, we are constantly putting ourselves up in this compare and contrast with the rest of the world. And oftentimes, it is a, that, that proverbial apples and oranges type of comparison. And it's, and it's oftentimes not fair. The, the unique history that we have when it comes to our sport, the size of our country, yeah. the incredible diversity that in my mind makes it the greatest country in the world, but also means that we have so much diversity of thought when it comes to how we think about the game and how players should be developed makes it a very complex type of system to work through when you're talking about develop and people agreeing articulating and then agreeing upon a path to take and there's so many different paths that are that are taking this goes back to where we we kick ourselves for what we aren't and we also have to look at how far we've uh we've come but it's also it's always gonna be different and it's always gonna be much more complex and therefore much more difficult, but it is going to produce talent uh, and different talent. And not all talent is going to be the same in how we play. It's not this homogenous type of, of, of attitude because that's not what we are uh, as a country, so there's going to be a lot of different types of players and different yeah. types of styles that come out. I don't buy into this this notion that there is incredible amount of talent that is falling through the cracks. Are we finding all of it? No Should, do we need more opportunities and more platforms out there? Yes, would I like every man, woman, and child that wants to play soccer to be able to do it for free? Yes, but that's not going to that's not going to happen because when you say free soccer, guess what somebody still has to pay for that, and that goes. For whether it's in the United States or anybody else out there. But we are going to do it differently, but I still think we are going to get results.
1: In terms of the talent and the pathway, you mentioned cost there, and, and I'm interested to talk to you and stay on cost because in recent days, Zlatan Ibrahimović has basically came out on the price of fo- football or the price of soccer in America. And he said the following, I have to pay $3,500 per child. It is not the figure that upsets me, but the whole concept. I dislike this very much because not everyone has the money needed and sport should be something for everyone because it unites people of whatever origin. So in terms of cost, what do you think the grassroots soccer um, organizations in America need to do to encourage even more youngsters to play the game?
0: Okay. So first off, when it comes to pay to play, that exists all over the world, not just in the United States. Okay. Uh, So, so that, You know, Zlatan understands that, and he knows that, and I I get what he is saying. Secondly, when it comes to the elite level, uh, there are, for the most part, when it comes to Major League Soccer uh, academies uh, and any type of development, all right, that is a free type of system to the player. Obviously, the teams are playing for it, so... It is a little misleading to just call it free. Yes, somebody is getting something for free, but it is not free. Somebody ultimately pays for it. We do have different rules and, and, and actual laws in place that sometimes make it difficult for us to do the same things that happen uh, around the world. And the other play, the, the part of it is, you know, we have coaches and we have clubs and they are for profit uh, in the same way that nobody is, is – is guaranteed to have anything given to them for free. And that goes for piano lessons. That goes for math tutoring. All right. We pay all of these people and it's not, it's, you know, there's no, there's no free type of system when it comes to all of these different add-ons that, uh, that you had, you know, having said all of that, look, I, as I said before, I would love for this to be much less cost and I would love for this for when it comes to, uh, to talent never ever have cost be an obstacle but you know what in life cost and in life uh you know things that do cost they can be an obstacle and it's up to us in the soccer community to make sure that we are doing everything possible with the understanding that we're never going to be able to cover everything but doing everything possible to alleviate it where we can if we can eliminate it fine Within the, within the rules and the regulations and the laws that we, uh, that we have, and to constantly look at, at possibilities of doing things differently. So it's easy for Zlatan from his platform up on high to say, to say something like this. He doesn't offer any solutions other than to make it free. Fine. Zlatan, you want to pay for everybody to have free soccer in the United States? First off, guess what? As much money as you have made, you still wouldn't be able to cover it. Yeah. <laughs> so, no, no, no. Uh, you know, that's you know, that's the way that I look at that. But it it furthers the conversation. It's an important conversation for us to have as we look as uh, to to where we go as a soccer playing nation. For me, the biggest problem is what
3: you get for your money,
0: and I think that it's not free. But uh, I hope that eventually we see a,
3: a continued improved coaching. Uh, I want to ask you about an intersectional issue here social issue that's unique to the United States. Of course, we have, uh, well, probably not unique to the United States, but we have social issues here, as you know, uh, as the whole world knows. There's controversy over the National Anthem. U.S. soccer has apologized over it. One of the proposed solutions would be not playing the National Anthem before every single MLS game or every single sporting event. Uh, I want to get your your take on this. Um, Should U.S. US soccer have apologized, and would you entertain a solution like that?
0: I mean, look. When it comes to, I mean, there, there, there's so much, you know, it's so much consternation and so much debate, and that's that's a good thing. It's one of the things I love about about our country as we talk about uh, as we talk about things. You know, when it comes to the national anthem, you know, I've always looked at the national anthem as something that unites us in sixty seconds out of our life, but. If it's come to a point where the national anthem is dividing us, if it's come to a point where the national anthem has become such a point of contention, then then it's not doing what at least the, I hoped hoped that it would do. And so therefore i'd I'd rather not do it because if it's hurting people, or if it's causing, like I said, people to to argue unnecessarily in those it, because of those sixty seconds, then that, that's fine. It would hurt me. Uh, because it's a tradition and a rite and a ceremony that we've had for, for, for a number of years. And the United States Soccer Federation gets to figure out what, what they want to do. They get to make the, their decisions. And in this, in this day and age, everybody is going to have their opinion heard. And then the decision is going to be made. And some people will agree, some people, uh, some people won't agree, but you know, this is, you know, this is in the, in the greater scheme of things, this is this the most important thing that we should be talking about when it comes to not just our game, but our world and the way that our world is in 2020. No, but it's going to be one of the. Uh, you know, I mean, we had the. Uh, everybody, everybody talks about these things, and I don't have answers. I'm not here to preach or tell anybody, mm-hmm. uh, tell anybody what to do. Um, and it's you know, it's it's a difficult and it's a complex type of thing to talk about and to and to come to any type of definitive answer. Right.
1: Last question for you, Alexei and based in my accent, I'm sure you can hear him from Scotland there 's an increasing number of Scottish players coming to MLS Chris Cadden, Gary Mackay, Stephen, Lewis Morgan, Sam Nicholson, Johnny Russell, and Danny Wilson, to name a few. Do you think the MLS has a sort of profile now that it can develop players of all nations and that it can, in the years to come, be seen as a league where you can go to develop and further your game rather than go down the designated player route where you see the likes of Wayne Rooney, Stephen Gerrard, and Frank Lampard that arrive to the MLS at the end of their careers? Could we start seeing young British players arrive to develop at the start of their careers?
0: So, you know, you guys have been around a long time and you've seen the way that the, the soccer world has changed over yeah. time. So, for example, the migration that happened to England and to the EPL, Uh, We saw it happen actually from Syria and, you know, the Bosman ruling and the opening of European community and this incredible migration and also the incredible business and marketing aspect of what the EPL became and the money that was there. Players are not going to England with all due respect for the food and for the weather. (laughs) Uh, But what they have done is they have made it this destination. Okay, and that type of migration can happen again. That type of migration not only can happen again, but it's even more liable to happen with a place like North America where players can go, uh, whether it's you know, the weather, whether it's the lifestyle, whether it's the safety, whether it's the, 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 you know, the money. And when all things are being equal or even more when it comes to the money, and you're not losing out in terms of your credibility, especially when it comes to the national team, that, that could be something that is very, very appealing. And, and I'm not just talking about for huge, huge stars. I'm talking about for players that are looking for a place that is going to give them a comfort level off the field in terms of what their image is and is also going to give them a comfort level and a challenge on the field and a platform from which they can use to maybe go on to something else if they want or have a long career. I, I'm really It's really gratifying to see some players that have chosen MLS... And while some of them, certainly you look at it as a stepping stone, others have looked at it and made their career and their lives yeah. here. You look at someone like Diego Valeri in, uh, in Portland. He is an institution in Portland, Oregon, all right? Mm-hmm. This, this, this Argentine, Argentine mastermind of the game is ingratiating himself into that community and that culture and will forever be remembered. And I think you're gonna see more and more of that, like you said, people looking at MLS as a place to go where all of those things that we've talked about are, are, are at your disposal. And that, that appears to me like something that would be very, very enticing, enticing going forward.
3: Actually, before you go, be remiss not to ask you about Kevin Durant buying into Philadelphia Union, continued investment from high end profile athletes. Um, is that another sign of the health of the league financially and, of course, as a brand itself?
0: Well, look, you want you want high profile people, and we talked earlier about the importance and the credibility uh, and the attention that someone like David Beckham brings. And mm-hmm. so having someone like Kevin Durant come in, even as a, you know, as a, what, I think it's five percent type of ownership. But look, y- we've seen what happened with LAFC with the I don't know they have a hundred owners, but over there. But you see, uh, you know, you see Will Farrell in the stands and Magic in the stands and yeah. and Mia Hamm and the, you know these types of people in the stands and uh, you know so many you know so. It, it, uh, especially I'm here in Los Angeles right now, and celebrity can be very, very valuable if you harness it correctly. Uh, and it can spread the word. And we need messengers. We need people out there spreading the word of what Major League Soccer is. And so I'm, I'm, I'm excited to have someone like that come in, especially for what has to be said is a, a smaller market type of team. I know Philadelphia is not necessarily a small market, but the way that the union Looks in that market, and then therefore, the way it's perceived from the outside, maybe he can increase that profile of what they are both in market and externally. How we look at it from outside the market,
3: we shall see. Alexi, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this. You need no introduction, keep up your great work, and thanks for joining us. I appreciate it. Thanks, guys. It's always a pleasure
0: to talk to you.
1: Cheers, buddy. Thank you. Thank you, Alexey Lalas. There, um, an absolute joy to interview there for both of us. A real insight into the thinking behind MLS and its return an interesting return, not the, the traditional MLS return, um, it's safe to say, but an interesting one that nonetheless, in terms of the MLS Phil, I'm interested to get your perspective because you're living in the States, I'm going to be very brutally honest before, before I ask you, mm-hmm. in the UK when the MLS started, it was seen as a sort of retirement home, sure. um, we saw the likes of David, well David Beckham when he was, he was younger, <laughs> but we saw the likes of um Steven Gerrard, Frank Lampard go there um, and the guys who went a bit younger the likes of Jermaine Defoe went and then came back very quickly because they 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 complained about the standard, however in recent years the, the standard has improved, viewing figures in the UK for the MLS are actually quite good now it's covered by Sky and I think that retirement home concept is gone, there's lots of British based players out there doing well, you look at um, Leeds United, and um, they signed Jack Harrison, who is obviously doing really well out in the MLS. He's been doing really well for Leeds as well, um, through the Man City allegiance, and, and really, I think the MLS is on the way up.
3: But quite right when it started, it was a bit of a farce. It uh, wasn't football as we know it. They brought invited ridicule by doing a lot of stupid things. Um, but the league has evolved. you don't remember, it takes a long, 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 long time, if you remember when Gary Lineker went to uh, Nagoya Grandpa, Grandpa said, uh, well, I don't you will, <laughs> but um the Japanese League was like the MLs and that was just getting started uh it was something it was it was about promoting it and it was about making it a a very successful league well, you take you 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 chart the progress of the MLS with the Japanese League, and you take a look at where MLs is compared to Japan. If you look at where the progress of MLS has made, some of the things that are different. Used to be, you could sign a couple of decent players abroad and win the league. You can't do it anymore. You need to be tactically astute. You need to be intelligent. They, these are well-run football clubs. They have academies now. And you're seeing that with young American talent being taken seriously, not just domestically, but abroad. Used to be the only thing that Americans were taken serious for was goalkeepers. You know, they had an abundance of good athletes, but very little technique. I see football at grassroots level here. Look, as Alexia says, the country's so big. So you can get um, aspects of youth development, coaching, that's not great, but you can also get the opposite too, it's exceptional. Because there is a lot of opportunity out here um, for coaches to coach at club teams, that they call it here. Um, the different, the, Some of the hardest things that, are, that, that MLS is up against, American kids play multiple different sports. They also don't play football on the street. They only play when, what they call practicing games. That's not enough. Whereas Europeans, South American, these kids are playing every day on the street. And coaching can only teach you good habits. It can't teach you the essence of anything. That's where America has to catch up. Uh, and I think eventually what will happen is it will not catch up. What will happen to Europe, South America, is they'll become more like America. And so it will level out. It is a league, it's one of the highest standards of living in the world. Why wouldn't players want to come here? You get the, who wouldn't want to live in Miami, right? I mean, for God's sake, it's one of the most beautiful places in the world. So there's there's the obvious attraction of the standard of living and the fact that the league, it's still evolving. It's still got to emerge in that. You know, the, the Chicharito signing was a bit embarrassing for the Galaxy in the sense that he'd done this documentary before it. And it shows him when he, got, when he was signed by the Galaxy, he was devastated. But I think some of that is the Mexican perception of MLS. Uh, MLS has still got a long way to go, but it is no longer a retirement home for old players. They scout very well. They bring in tremendous coaches. It's taken very seriously at all levels. And they've earned all the credit they get. It's a very, very good league. I remember asking Robbie Keane about the standard. And he was then back then. This was about five, six years ago, and it's improved since then. It was about English Championship standard. I would say because of the salary cap, you can get players outside of the first the first team squad that aren't up to that level, but the first sixteen of of MLS squads is very, very good, and. uh you know, I, I I I like to see them. I live in this country. You know, I want to see the football. I want to see football improve. I want to see it continue to evolve and become a major sport in this country. And it's well on its way to doing that. And I think a lot of people work very very hard behind the scenes. And it's definitely a a league. It's well worth watching. It, it, it's you know you get good crowds now. And I, and like I was saying, just to finish up on this point, it's much more savvy American audience. You know, twenty years ago Americans had really very little exposure to. to football now they watch Bundesliga they watch Premier League they watch La Liga they know good players from bad they know good football from bad so you can't fool them anymore so you, you know the, you can't get a guy with an accent that oh he must be good because he has an accent doesn't work like that anymore you know they're, they're, they're savvy people so as a result of that they want more than just an old an old footballer an old failing footballer or flagging footballer in the last two years of his career looking for one last payday that's not enough anymore
1: Absolutely. And, and one of the appointments that really intrigues me um, is Ronnie Dyler at yeah. New York City. And the reason that intrigues me is because came to Celtic, regarded as a very good coach. Ultimately, at the end at Celtic, it was a, it was a period of time where the club's downsizing. That didn't help him. Um, he went back to Norway, very highly regarded out there, um, linked with various jobs, again, in the UK and in Europe. But he wanted to make the step to MLS. And he's someone who I think will do well in MLS because he's a coach who's ambitious. There's been coaches in the UK. Alan Pardew has been mentioning wanting to work in the MLS. Sam Allardyce too. And I don't mean this disrespectfully to those guys because that's not why I'm on this show. But MLS clubs have to be very careful about who they recruit. They have to be careful, even with the coaches from the UK and Europe, that they don't get down... the the route they did with the players were oh former England manager, he'll Mm. be great they need to get it right and that's where the likes of Ronnie Dyler for me are progressive in terms of appointments. One last point on coaching that I think is important to make the treatment of Bob Bradley when he came to the Premier League at times was nothing short of disgraceful Um, one of the main programmes over here basically ripped the piss out of him just because he was from America and I thought for me that was pretty crass I have got a sense of humour, don't worry, but I just thought it was quite crass and and stereotypical, which I didn't like. Whereas now, you look at Jesse March, you look at his team, Salzburg, that came and gave Liverpool, the European champions at the time, a real fight to Anfield. A a team that, that by all accounts, have got an incredible training structure. And him, a, a manager, a coach, who is inspiring his players, who's drawing looks from other clubs across Europe that can only be good for the American game too. Because not only can the domestic game be good, but they can also export talent who can be consistently good. And I know he's not American, but if you look at Davis at Bayern Munich, an absolute sensation. Came through the MLS system Mm -hmm. at Vancouver. I know he's Canadian, but what a player. And again, that can only be good for the exposure and the standard of the MLS being taken seriously on a wider scale.
3: Look, let me tell you something. There's There's a snobbery behind this. Um, Bob Bradley was torn apart for some of his American colloquialisms. Everybody's colloquialisms about the game. Every single culture in the world. Everyone who plays it doesn't use British colloquialisms. So that what's wrong with that? What's wrong with the fact that he has an American vernacular? You know, and, and honestly it, it's it, there's snobbery behind it. Exactly the same snobbery that was behind Unai Emery getting slaughtered with his goody bini at least the guy was having a go at least the guy was trying to have a go speaking English these are wankers that have no uh, They that, that are little Englanders that don't speak another language that are going to criticise someone else for having the courage to come over and coach in their league and you're going to sit there and criticise them because they don't speak with a you know a on Trent accent it's absolutely ridiculous and uh, it it you know it really is a sad state of affairs David Beckham wasn't treated like that when he came here David Beckham was treated like like a god, and the respect that a lot of American fans had for English football is not reciprocated. And you know, the Irish people can be just as bad, anybody, and this arrogance that they know more. Let me tell you something American coaches, there's a lot of exceptional American coaches, right? And they pay attention to detail. Uh, there's a lot of crap, ones but a lot of crap British coaches do. So, you know, they, they it was disgraceful the way the guy was treated. And, you know, not just him, but even this, this, this negative perception that surrounds American players. I don't know, maybe it's, a, maybe it's an issue with rivalry with, with countries and finally we're better than something America had. And I, I, there's definitely an element of anti-Americanism that runs through football where they're still perceived as crap, where they're still perceived as clueless. And one of the worst protagonists of this, by the way, is Guy Lineker. Gary Lineker makes it come across as Mr. Righteous. Gary, Gary Lineker is one of the worst protagonists of, of forwarding this perception that Americans are clueless about football. They absolutely are not. The Americans get up at four o'clock in the morning to watch Premier League Live. They make sacrifices to watch the sport. They fly to games all the time. By the way, what country brings more fans to the World Cup than anyone else? The United States of America. Not bad for a country that doesn't have a football culture. And as we've said in an interview with Alexi Lalas, you see high-end athletes in this country, celebrities buying into the sport. So, you know, it, it really angers me because it's snobbery and some anti-Americanism. And uh, so I don't think Bob Bradley was given a chance and he was slaughtered for one interview when we were talking about a penalty. Absolutely. And I, we had the pleasure of interviewing Bob Bradley on the show, an absolute gentleman, by the way. Really, really shameful the way he was treated. Uh, a country that the British, um, uh, 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 English Premier League, has courted and courted and courted this market over and over again. to rely so heavily on its dollars. So, honestly, a bit disappointing that. Um, so, it, it looks so much to talk about in today's show Callum um, really really uh, pleased to be joined by Alexi Lallister some light on what's going on in MLS and um, <clears throat> Stephen Nichol as we said um, I don't know if we got anything else left before we before we go Matt
1: very quick one I want to touch on with you I've been thinking about it recently I, I, as you know I interviewed Clive Chilsley, um mm. and that was on BTP and, and and he said something that really really resonated with me he was telling me about a famous striker And he basically said that the famous striker, his name escapes me. I apologise for that. He was doing doing a coaching session. He was invited to do a session, and it was a finishing drill. And the ball was put into him. Frank Worthington. Frank Worthington. Sorry. Yeah, there you go. Thanks for reminding me. The ball came (laughs) into him. He flicked the ball up, hit it top corner, and Clive said to him, "It was a, it was a piece for TV. Yeah, it's all well and good, Frank, but can you explain how you done it? All right, okay." Get someone else to hit a ball into him, mm. flicks it up on the spin, smacks it into the other top corner, and it was at that point, Clive realised, this guy's brilliant, but he doesn't have a clue what makes him brilliant. It's just, it's, it, Clive said, it, it's, it's instinct, it's, it's talent, and at times, talent can't explain how 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 it does things, and and I think we've seen that in terms of great great players not making great managers at times, and and that's something that I think is important because just like you said with the Bob Bradley situation when it comes to coaching, a lot of people think, wow, he was an incredible footballer. He'll be an incredible manager. Mm-hmm. It doesn't always work that way.
3: Look, <clears throat> when it comes to genius and creativity, there's something about it that's irreducible to mathematics. There's something that we cannot create in a controlled environment. We can take all the variables say we have a Lionel Messi and he has a twin brother and they're both born in exactly the same environment and they both do absolutely everything identical. At 18, they're very different human beings. They're very different football players. We don't know what creates genius. We don't know what is creativity. We don't know how you get it. We don't know... What I mean, Michael Jordan could never explain to you what made him a genius. He can give you some of the things that he has done in his life, like hard work, focus and all that, but you hear that from everyone. But there's a threshold from learning something and not learning, but not knowing something and knowing something that we very rarely know how we cross it. For example, any skill in life, when you talk about doing keepy-ups, for example, you try, you try, you try, you try, you try, you try. You can't do it. And then you can do it when you let go. When you stop trying so hard and all of a sudden, how did I go from not knowing to knowing? What is that threshold? How do we get there? We don't know. We have no idea. We have no idea how we do things. We have no idea. I mean, you can explain certain habits, but how you how you get knowledge, how you get creativity, how you get genius is a complete mystery. And yet it is bestowed on so, just a few people, every generation in particular fields. And for a lot of these people, there's a darkness to it as well, which is odd. You go throughout history and you see a lot of people that are geniuses are also troubled. They also have other aspects of their life. There's something about that we just don't know. Lionel Messi, to me, is a genius. Lionel Messi was born to be a genius. Maradona was a genius, born to be a genius. Cristiano Ronaldo, magnificent talent, but pure science. Someone that um, had blessed with sensational talent, intersectional, intersectionalized with uh, science, with nutrition, with diet, with incredible focus, with determination. Messi is all brilliance and creativity and something that is just unique in the universe. We don't know what it is. I, I It's just a wonderful, beautiful thing that there are people out there We've seen this with footballers like Maradona, George Best, lots of players that are blessed with this genius. They don't need to train as hard. They can go take cocaine and go out and play a game, the biggest game of their life. Lots of players can. Lots of players throughout different generations have had this ability, and we don't know how to coach it. There is no way to coach this talent. I think it is truly amazing, and I think this is the problem with getting players like Zidane. Zidane's done a good job at El obviously. But assuming that just because you're a great footballer, you will to make a great manager, they're totally different skills. They're plumbing, electricians, and communicating. Uh, all these different things are – and I think there's a lot of people at the top by the way, that are bluffers, that bluff their way, that make it. They really don't know what they're doing. I, I, I find that in many different fields. So what, it, what makes someone great, we have no idea.
1: Absolutely. And, and just before we go, I want to make a, a kind of serious point and draw a parallel between two people. We mentioned Brian Clough last week on the show. And since we mentioned him, I went and watched some interviews that he did. And something that he said that really resonated with me, he was asked about his political views and socialism. And Brian Clough said, I am very lucky in the sense that I've got a big house and a few bob. Why can't everyone have a big house and a few bob? That's the way society should work. Mm -hmm. And the parallel I want to draw is between Brian Clough and Marcus Rashford. Now, I know you might have touched on this in the United show, but what Marcus Rashford is doing in the UK is nothing short of extraordinary. He's campaigning with the government to U-turn on the fact that they will not give vulnerable kids free school meals over the summer, something that Marcus admits himself he needed when he was that age. For me, he's, he's 22. He's a young guy. Um, and I think using his platform for good makes me immensely proud to be a mm-hmm. follower of football because so often, and it, it really pisses me off, Phil, all you hear is, so-and-so earns 100 grand a week. Yeah. What does he know? I know. So-and-so that earns 100 grand a week probably does a lot in his local community that he doesn't really want to show off about because mm-hmm. he's humble deep down. Marcus is one of those kids. And the fact that he's went public with this, isn't, isn't you can tell by the way he speaks about it. It's not him being put up to look like a right, the righteous one and walk mm. around and say, look how good I am. You can tell when the, he speaks, he's passionate about it because he believes in it. And for me, I just hope that we can see, not just footballers, but in this current tough situation, people with a platform use it for good because there's a lot of people out there that need help. There's lots of social issues in the world, in the UK, the US, across Europe, Asia, etc. And I just hope that more people can be like Marcus Rashford. And as Cluffy said, why can't we all have a more equal standard of life?
3: I think that is a brilliant point. I can't echo it enough. There are so many people out there and all I ask a human being to do Whenever someone tells you something that doesn't fit your description or your experience of life, accept that your experience isn't typical, Accept that another human being can experience the world completely differently based on some things like a birth and accident. We are all at the mercy of the families that we're born into, the countries that we're born into, the social circumstances that we're born into, and we all need help. We all need help. We all need a in hand. Marcus Rashford is a fantastic young kid taking his platform, amplifying social issues that people need help on. You're a school teacher, Callum, so you can speak to this. I wasn't born in the opulence. I didn't have anything growing up, commercially, financially. I needed everything that I was given. There was other people more fortunate than me that had things that couldn't understand what it was like to not have something. And I didn't have something, and lots of other kids don't. So for those that are cynical about Marcus and think that it's market employee, let's even assume that at the very worst, it is a market employee. Let's say you hire a PR firm to tell you to do this. This is exactly what a PR firm should be doing. Advising clients to use their platform for good. Marcus writes as a kid. I would not have had the maturity at his age to do what he's doing, nor the foresight or the vision to do it. And I will not criticize him. Footballers can't win. If he's selfish and brash, he's criticized. If he tries to do stuff to the betterment of society and help relentlessly, he's criticized as being a PR exercise. There are some people with cynical outlooks on life that are constantly dark, that look for the darkness in everything. I believe it's a personality trait, or perhaps it's a reflection of your own misery. And I empathize with you. But if you can't find the goodness in what someone like Marcus Rashford is doing, Perhaps you need to take a good look at yourself and ask why. Thank God there's people like Marcus Riceford in this world. Because without people like him, we would have a more unequal, more inequities, more suffering society that reflects the very worst of us. And we must fight this at all costs. I couldn't agree with you more, Matt. And I'm so grateful that someone like Marcus Riceford is out there and the thousands of other footballers that do so much work in their communities. They'll give back personally, that never talk about it. I know personally of professional athletes in my life that do things that never they never talk about that I wish they could talk about, but they don't. And they're criticized. And I believe what Marcus Rushford's doing is a reflection of him as a human being, no PR exercise. Because consistency is always about who the person is, not about PR. And if Marcus Rashford wasn't that person, you'd see it in other aspects of his life. If this was fake, you'd see it in other aspects of his life. What a fantastic kid. What a credit to the football shirt, credit to his family, credit to himself. And this, this amazing football club that we, that are lucky enough to to support myself. Uh, and I'm so, I'm, I'm so grateful for him for doing it. Calum, we we'll go ahead and leave it there on a positive note. Thank you so much folks for all the likes, downloads, retweets and everything else. And, um, thanks for following the show Uh, we always appreciate your feedback this is a new podcast we've been doing for the last few weeks so we're always grateful for your feedback lots of new stuff coming up on btp this week so thanks for downloading Callan, all the best mate all the best take care